Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Lauren. Lauren Dolly Duke is a writer, educator, entrepreneur, and community activist. She's taught thousands of yoga students over the last 15 years, led dozens of international retreats, and continues to push the edge between yoga, mental health, and trauma. She founded a -a one-of-a-kind community center and yoga studio in Encinitas, California, in a sea of corporate yoga where most independent studios don't survive, she created a thriving community, teaching and hosting a variety of sold-out yoga classes, educational seminars, and writing workshops. She devotes her time to helping educate people on the anatomy of trauma and how those experiences are woven into the tapestry of our lives. She has studied with the world's leading traumatologist, Bessel van Kolk. Van der Kolk, you got it. Van der yep. Kolk, yes. <laughs> Peter A. Levine, Gabor Mate, and Stephen Porges. <laughs> she is the author of the forthcoming book, Shit House, a memoir about generational trauma. It comes out January 11th, 2022, which is right around the corner. <laughs> right around the corner. Yes. And I want to apologize to everyone um, who's listening. I had my thyroid biopsied. So it's, it's been a morning. Uh, so if I'm not on it, it is. That's the reason. Uh, so Lauren, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I would love to, I mean, you mentioned trauma a yeah. bunch in your intro Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about today uh, without giving away your whole entire book. Uh, (laughs) So I'd love for you to take us back. It started really young in your, when, for you, Uh, take us back to when that began. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because it's not something that I would have been able to articulate as a child. I didn't know that that the lasting effects of those um, events would have on me. And there's different types of trauma. There's complex trauma. There's, you know, one-time event trauma. And, you know, for me, I was just in a chaotic family environment with caregivers who couldn't attune to me, who had their own unresolved, you know, trauma, uh, which is really just dysfunctions of their nervous system, which creates habitual patterns in people's lives. But so from the very beginning, you know, when, when you've got caregivers that are uh, unresolved and, and not regulated, uh, lots of interesting things happen, you know? So that's kind of like the beginning of my book. I had uh, parents who were uh, addicts in one way, shape or form and stepfathers, you know, in and out of prison and my own father in and out of prison. And um, yeah, so, so it's been kind of, since the beginning of my life, I've had, um, you know, there's just really been a slew of, of, um, of chaos. And I really didn't know until much later when I was given a PTSD diagnose, diagnosis when I was, you know, 27 years old, that it was like, I needed someone to connect the dots for me, that it mm-hmm. was because of 
the wiring of my own nervous system. Like for so long, I was able to navigate my life. I was used to the chaos. I was traveling around. I was here, there. I was getting myself into all these like crazy hiccups, but, but for me, it was normal. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it affected every relationship I ever had. If it wasn't crazy and a total shit storm, I, um, I would break it because it didn't feel normal to me. It Mm -hmm. wasn't familiar. And so, um, when I was 27, I ended up getting in this car accident and I had, I was having, which again, I couldn't articulate at the time, um, a lot of, you know, disrupted patterns. I mean, it is, it's a physiological trauma is a physiological response in the nervous system. And I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought I literally was out of control. My brain felt like it was on fire and I was terrified and I had no, uh, vocabulary or language to articulate, um, you know, my own experience, which just perpetuates fear when you Mm -hmm. just have no control or you don't understand a situation. So, um, really when I sat down with a therapist and she was able to connect the dots of my childhood, of all these things that had happened inside cars. Um, and the, the current thing that had happened in a car, but also the overwhelming was like my nervous system had been in survival mode my whole life. And really what had happened is the car accident just kind of put me over the edge and I couldn't tolerate everything that was living inside of me anymore. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of, um, you know, of, of the journey of educating myself on trauma. And I think that that's kind of unfolded into this bigger, journey for me where I am trying to normalize this conversation of trauma and really help to expand other people's vocabulary and lexicon on how the things that have happened to us really affect everything that is unfolding in our lives, you know, Mm -hmm. from um, our jobs to our belief systems, to our family dynamics, to whatever you know, component of your life has dysfunction, which for most people, something is going on and they're like, I don't understand why this thing keeps happening over and over again. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, people think of trauma oftentimes as like this, this like one big thing, you know, Um, even for me, when I was diagnosed with PTSD, I was like, wait, I thought PTSD was like for war veterans or something like that. I really thought Um, And I had had some big events too, but I minimized them because I had been, I had already gone through so much. I just thought it was normal, you know, but when you live in, in chaos, it's like you're wired for chaos and that chaos really manifests everywhere. It manifests, you know, like I said before, in relationships and behaviors and belief systems and, um, and really affects the uh, unraveling of our lives. So I think it's such an important conversation. I think the more we can educate ourselves, um, you know, on what is happening inside of our mind body system, the more we'll learn tools and resources to self-regulate ourselves. And thus we can stop these, um, you know, dysfunctional patterns that are affecting every aspect of our lives. Sorry, that was a lot. (laughs) I can relate, uh, to having, uh, parents who had their own trauma, Thus ends up uh, 
that trauma gets passed to you because yeah. the way they can't re- regulate themselves and they become very dysfunctional. And then I spend a good portion of my life uh, dysfunctional myself and living in chaos. And now, now it's the, I don't want, like, I spent so much of my lifetime living in chaos. I don't want it. Like I, you know, if there is anything in my life that is too chaotic, I'm like, nope, I'm out. I don't want it. Yeah. It's too much. Well, and obviously you have learned because you, we just talked before we started, you know, the play button, but you're in school for psychology. So you obviously have some awareness of the inner workings of your own mind body. And that's really what it takes. Like we have to make what's unconscious conscious. Mm-hmm. And that's really how we break those, you know, systemic and generational patterns And, you know, you, you mentioned like the big theme in my book is about generational trauma, because I think that this whole idea of transgenerational trauma or intergenerational trauma is really hard for, you know, there's a science around it called epigenetics. And I Mm -hmm. think it's really hard for people to understand, but it's actually not that hard when you learn something and that thing becomes you and you play that thing out or that idea out or that pattern out every day of your entire life, it really does change the patterns on your genes. Mm -hmm. And that is what epigenetics is. You know, it's like, it doesn't change the gene, but it changes the expression and program that is, um, intertwined in the genes, you know? So like, it's all what I have recognized through this, through all of my studies over the last decade is it's all learned and anything that is learned can be unlearned, but it takes work. And that was the, that was really the, um, the hard pill for me to swallow when I went through therapy was that I couldn't swallow any pills to make this better. You can numb it, you know, you can do all of these things to, um, repress it, but, but in order to literally decondition patterns from your nervous system and your brain and your body and, and reprogram, you literally have to live what you want to be. And it is so hard, um, that, and that was the wake up call for me when I was, you know, in trauma therapy and it's like, oh my God, I have this revelation. You, you can't. You can help me because you can educate me, but I have to do the work myself. Yeah. And that is what's so hard for people, because I think we really are living in a culture of people like, you know, we, we want to take the pill. We want the green pill with the blue pill or the red pill. Give mm-hmm. us a pill so you can take this, you know, these feelings away because it's easier. And if you really want to heal, you have to do the work yourself to, um, to, to create a new mind body and it can be done. And, and that's kind of like, I think a big piece of my message is like, it can be done. It's hard, but if you have the right resources, like no one wants to be taking pills for the rest of their lives. I mean, I kind of have to, I have bipolar disorder. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Great. And that's, you know, that there are conditions that are like that because I, you know, I have a few friends actually who struggle with mania and I've watched them go and, and that's where Western medication is amazing, you know, to, to support that sort of physiology. But a lot of people don't want to take that sort of medication for the rest of their lives and don't have to. No, they don't. And, you know, I have a brother and he's, um, he's a heroin addict and he's addicted, addicted to oxys. And when I look at the 
anatomy of his life, which I won't even go into, it makes sense to me why he needs to numb his experience. He's never been through pain. He's never, I mean, never been through therapy. He's never had anyone help him connect his own dots to understand why everything is so disrupted and there's so much suffering in his system. Um, but you know, when, when oftentimes when people start to put the pieces of their puzzle together and they basically like solve their own algorithms, it's like, oh my God, I make so much more sense now. Mm -hmm. And there's a, an integration and a reorganization of a system when that happens versus things being so dysregulated. Yeah. I've been in therapy for eight years now. And the first two therapists I had, they were great. I'm not bashing out uh, 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 on them at all. They were wonderful human beings and they had their own place in my life, but it took the current therapist I had, which mind you, the first therapist, I didn't have my bipolar diagnosis. So part of the reason we weren't getting anywhere is because like I, I needed to be stable to be able to even do half the things I needed to do. The second one, the same, and in partway through our time together, I got the right diagnosis. This one was like, she's no bullshit. And she was like, listen, <laughs> you've been through some things and we need to work on these things because you aren't functioning to your best ability, even with this new diagnosis, because you have these things. Um, and so it, it has been a couple years of like really taking like a good look at my life and going, oh, this is, this is dysfunctional. Like all of this is dysfunctional. <laughs> we need to work on all of this. A part of that. And people listening to the podcast has heard like a thousand times on my relationship with my mother. I can't have one with her because yeah. she has not healed herself. And because of whatever, for whatever reason, she takes it out on me, not my sister, not other people, me like, and so I cut her off like two and a half years ago. Cause I was like, no, Mm -mm. yeah, I, I can't, I can't heal myself and, 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 you know, uh, work through my own trauma. If I'm constantly being re-traumatized by you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So much to say there. Um, while I was in trauma therapy, um, it wasn't until literally someone else, a therapist, because my, because my life was my life, it was normalized. Mm -hmm. I thought the violence, the abuse, the neglect, I thought it was normal. Uh, and it wasn't until I sat down with the therapist and the therapist was like, you, you do understand that these things that happened to you and this relationship with particularly your primary caregiver, which was, who was my mother was not okay. You understand that. Right. And that was like my first moment that I recognized that. And that was kind of the moment that I actually, uh, I have a great relationship with my mom now ish. I'll talk about that in a little bit, but this was the moment that, um, I, all of my pent up rage and frustration came out And I quit talking to my mom because my experience, and it might not be your experience is like the resolution that I needed to have with my mother was inside of me. I was Mm -hmm. never going to get an apology and I still haven't. And I'm friends with my mom now, you know, I was never going to get anything like that from my mother. And the only way I was going to be able to move forward was to be able to see my mom in, in her whole matrix, Mm -hmm. which is the way that she was raised and all these 
you know, dysfunctional relationships and all the people who abused her and who let her down. And she ended up becoming the abuser of me, you know, she was also in survival mode herself. And that was partly why she didn't have the emotional intelligence to, um, tolerate a child, you know, or, or raise a child. But so I went through a long period of time while I was doing all my own work where I could not speak to my mother because Mm -hmm. it was, it was re-traumatizing old wounds. And so I had to wait until that wound was healed. And to be totally honest, the wound was not, I mean, there's still, once there's, I'm not sure we ever really fully heal from trauma. Yeah. I think, I think they're scars. They're deep, deep, patterns and grooves and and scars in our bodies that, you know, like we always remember it, it might not affect us the same way, but it's always still there. But, um, you know, I had to wait, wait until I finished my book to have that relationship with my mom again. And, um, for me, the writing process was, was incredibly healing because I had to work through everything that happened and I had to see it from every single angle. And I had to develop every single character, which means I had to look at my mom from all her entire historical context, you know? And so, um, that was really powerful for me to, to get through, like, I'm not triggered by my mom. Now we Mm -hmm. still have had no conversation about, um, my history. She once made a comment about how she wished I wouldn't have inherited all the trauma from my dad without any account- accountability. <laughs> and that's just like, you know, it's again, I recognize when I look at my mom, I'm like, Oh my God, this is a wounded person. And it feels yeah. really good to know all the things I know and to be able to, because of what I know in my education, be compassionate for this person rather than being really upset with her. You know mm-hmm. um, I still, it's funny because with my book, I think a lot of people are asking like, well, what's your relationship? Like, have you and your mom healed that wound? And The reality is, is I stopped expecting and wanting my mom to meet me where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I started to recognize, oh man, she's an alcoholic. You know, she, everything is suppressed. And I don't even know at this point in her life, if she could tolerate everything, if it came up and probably get a freaking heart attack, you know? And so I just meet her where she's at and she doesn't want to talk about anything. She just wants to like sit around and hang out and bullshit and have, you know, be superficial. That's fine. I Mm -hmm. actually totally fine with that. It could be a very interesting experience, um, with her reading my book. She might learn a lot of things about me that, um, you know, that she didn't know, which may, put me, um, it may give her more context about who I've become and why I've done some of the things I've done and, and maybe even why we've had a, um, fracture in our relationship for so long. So, so who knows, or who knows, you know, she might be so tight in her ego that she might make it all about her, but, um, you know how it goes. Like, I mean, we're all, everyone's kind of struggling. Um, especially I think our parents' generation some level of narcissism to protect them from having to be accountable for the shit they've done in their lives. Yeah. You know, and it makes so, so much sense to me to, um, it's like the wounded healer, you know, like you've been through some stuff and because of that, you have your own diagnosis that you're working through and you're also trying to understand your own inner workings and have, you know, be able to organize your experience. I mean, it just makes so much sense that you would go down the road, 
you've gone down, you know, and that I've gone down the road that I've gone down because we're just literally trying to make sense of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. I've come to have empathy and compassion for both of my parents. They both went through some shit when they were younger. My dad is, oh my God, my dad, especially like, holy crap. I'm not going to tell his story, but man, that dude went through some shit. Oh yeah. We could compare stories on our dads another time. (laughs) I don't know. I know. I, but I mean, I, it took me being in therapy and everything to really be able to, like you said, look at their, their upbringing, what they went through and the trauma that, that they experienced. The problem with my mom is my mom doesn't want to sit around and bullshit with me. My mom wants to put me down every time I see her. So I cut her off for a year. Oh, like eight years ago. And before we had a relationship again, my, I was like, my husband's like, tell her, like, write a letter. Don't tell her on the phone. Cause she's going to miss like, like misunderstand what you're saying or black it out or something. He was like, write a letter and tell her what your expectations are. These are the things I expect from you. And I cannot have a relationship with you. If you cannot respect these things. Yeah. And it was good for a couple of years. And then I slowly started going back into the old patterns, no matter yeah. what I said. And the last time I saw her, she told me she wished I wasn't born because I ruined her life. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think that's the a cherry on the, and, and when I, mind you, when I caught her off, I told her, I asked only one thing of her, she wanted to have a relationship with me was to go to therapy. Yeah. I'm like, I really want you to go to therapy. I was like, and if you want, I can even she lives in Vermont. I was like, I could even not every time you have a therapy appointment, but I could come to some of them and we could work on this together. And I spent two and a half years. And instead she just whines to everybody about how like, Oh, Megan doesn't see me and I can't see my grandkids. And I didn't do anything wrong. I've paid for all of my mistakes. I don't want to, I don't want an apology. I want you to stop hurting me. Like, you know, you can't, you can't heal if the person continue, like you can't, you have new wounds to heal if the person can keep doing that to you. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I think that you're doing all the right things because the boundary component is so crucial, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, when I look at someone like your mom or my mom, it's like, they don't want to be made wrong because it's Mm -hmm. too painful. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I'm, I like just hearing, I love listening to other people's stories because it always gives me, um, you know, so much more context for my own. And I'm just, just hearing this story makes me so grateful that like, my mom is not on that end of the spectrum, even though my mom is just frozen and repressed on the other side. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm glad that we're, uh, we're not fighting anymore. And, and it is like, there's so many things that like, if we want to, if we want to get better, if we want our brains to get better, our nervous systems to get better, our bodies to get better, we have to stop putting ourselves in situations that are going to re-traumatize us. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. And that's mm-hmm. often like, you know, the, the challenging thing with like typical therapy is like CBT. So many people end up retelling their story over and over and over and they don't get better. They're just re-traumatizing themselves. And that's why I think that the somatic experiencing work, you know, that program that I did, because I come from the body world, you know, I was a yoga teacher and uh, 
all sorts of other things that are all, all in body realm. Um, and I really started to realize like, oh my God, these stories are literally playing out in people's bodies and yeah. you know, somatic experiencing. The fascinating thing about it is like the, the finessing of a nervous system isn't so much about, um, the content of someone's story. It's about what is happening and the language that is literally like playing out inside someone's body. And this is what we get so educated on in that mm-hmm. method is to be able to look at someone and sess out what is happening with their nervous system and help them unwind these really activated patterns. And um, I mean, our parents would think that is fucking bananas, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but like, I think that you get it because you're in, yeah. you're in that world. And, and um, yeah, I just think it's, I, I, I am super proud of you for setting that boundary. Um, you know, and at some point I really hope that she does her own work. And if she can't do her own work, you also know it's not about you. Oh yeah. I know it's about this person <laughs> suffering. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I'm 35. If I, yeah. if I'm still losing, ruining her life after 35 years, it, I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. got something and wrong, lady. I mean, this is why, like, I don't know if you've heard this term, but like our, I I'm 38. And so I'm at the, like, we're, we're millennials and they call yeah. millennials the like wellness generation or the therapy generation, because we're all trying to untangle what our parents did to us. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that we've had this, um, you know, expanding of the education around mental health, especially in, well, you know, the last decade, but really the last, like, I don't know, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, like that book came out in 2011 and it kind of became like slightly mainstream. So it's really been in the last like five or 10 years that we're really starting to have this conversation, but but really right now, like right now, mental health and nervous systems and, you know, all of it, like wellness trends, like it is on trend. And as much as it annoys me because I feel like, well, I was doing this before it was cool. I'm also <laughs> so glad, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, I, I think it, we have come leaps and bounds with mental health, but I also think that we have a long way to go. Yeah. There, there's still a lot of stigma out there around mental health. Um, as cause people are like, or mental illness, I should say, there's a lot of stigma around mental illness because everybody's like, Oh yeah, we got to take care of our mental health, blah, blah, blah. But then when it comes to like the, like the actual mental illness part, sometimes, especially for like the more severe mental illnesses, like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or like the misunderstood ones, like borderline personality disorder, they're more stigmatized then maybe it's become like acceptable to have depression and anxiety. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, I still think we have a long way to go so that like everybody feels like, yes, it's acceptable for me to be open about like what I'm going, what's going on with me. Um, so yeah, I I still think we have a long way to go, but I was going to say like, yeah, I, I learned your body does hold trauma right? Even like down to the basic biology, fight, flight, freeze. Like that's dysregulated in people who've been through trauma. Like I'm a freeze person. 
like where, where I, I should probably flee or I should probably fight. No, no, no. I'm just going to, that's what, yeah. that, that's my response to, you yeah. know, like things like that. So what people don't understand is you, you are dysregulated, not just in your brain from trauma, but your body too. Like, and you got to work on both. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is where, um, you know, we can't, uh, normalize schizophrenia. My father was a schizophrenic or uh, mania or bipolar disorder or without education. Right. Oh yeah. So the education and awareness is key. The education around like we're so cognitive based, our whole culture is like top down, but really the trauma, every single person on the planet has been through trauma. Every single for everybody, every single person has been through some sort of spectrum of trauma. The trauma happened in the moment to a body. Mm -hmm. The mind is processing it, but in real time, it happened to a body. So the stories are playing out inside people's bodies. It's like our job, I think really as Uh, mental health educators is to become fluent in the language of the body. And so that's why, like, even in my, um, my uh, SE training, I did a bunch of different ones because um, I was also kind of finishing it up during COVID. And so I was able to take it online. Um, And so I was in a New York training, I was in a uh, Wisconsin training. I was in, you know, an Arizona training. And so I had all these different people in my cohorts and 99% of the people in every single training, um, they were psychotherapists. And these are people who are, have been in the psychotherapy and psychology realm for many years and are recognizing something's not working. I need Mm -hmm. to understand what's happening in a body. And so the more education there is around, um, around this, that it's like, we top down, uh, modalities have their place, but first and foremost, the trauma has happened to a body. And Mm -hmm. like you were saying, I think a lot of people, I think the most, um, under studied and under misunderstood, uh, piece of the fight flight freeze response. Cause what do we always say? Fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. But when people can't fight or flight, they freeze. Mm-hmm. And this is most people's patterns. And the reason why we freeze is because like, if you look at animals in nature, they don't freeze wild animals. Don't free. Well, they do actually, they have dorsal vagal responses. Um, they do freeze, but that is like when they're presented with their imminent death. But for us as a, as a, we have cultural behaviors and cultural attitudes and say someone says something to you and you have a automatic nervous system response, but you have been taught or trained to not respond the way that you want to respond, which is with anger or rage or aggression. And instead you just, you stuff it down because you're being culturally appropriate. We have been taught all of these patterns and behaviors to interact with people. And like our literal culture is what's traumatizing us. And I think we are all struggling with some level of dysregulated nervous system. A lot of people on the sympathetic end and a lot of people on the deep parasympathetic end, which is freeze. 
And so I think that the more we can study, um, like, I feel like that's kind of the deepest freeze response is a collapse response, which is what I have. It's called dorsal vagal immobilization. And that is really how I ended up getting into um, all this work is I always was searching for something to help me deal with this response in my nervous system, but I didn't know that's what it was. They called it vasovagosyncope. But a lot of people have a spectrum of freeze that's like dissociation. You know, you're just kind of like, you kind of zoom out of your body because that is the response that protected you in the moment. So again, this is why I keep coming back to nervous system education, because when you can start to recognize the symptomology that comes up, like, oh, I know this response. This is a freeze response. Freeze response is parasympathetic. In order for me to get myself out of freeze, I have to do something either sympathetic or I have to deeply connect and attune with someone and feel safe, which is the social engagement system. Have you studied any of the polyvagal theory yet? No. Oh my God, it's fascinating. So it's this guy, Stephen Porges, and you'll learn a lot about your freeze response um, just by, uh, anyway. So yeah, it all, it really does come back to education. And that's why I am so passionate about what I'm doing. And I feel um, like I own a yoga studio. And so the, the yoga component is also mega on trend. And so it really allows me to get so many people in the door so I can educate Mm -hmm. them on their nervous system using yoga platform as a portal. Yeah. And I I um, love yoga. Oh, and so, and tell me why. Oh, so mind you, I, because I was working and going to grad school at the same time, I didn't really have the last couple of weeks or last couple of months have the extra time to do yoga in the morning. And I'd completely stop my morning routine. And the last two days I've gone back into it and I feel so relaxed afterwards. Really? I just feel so like much better. I like, yep. I, I get out it like the first day. So not yesterday or not today, yesterday. And I did it for the first time in several months. And I was like, feel like a whole new person. Yes. (laughs) And you are, you know, and that's the thing is like, that's the, there's multiple things that are happening in a yoga practice that change your physiology really quickly. And that's, what's happening. It's like, okay, you feel like a whole new person because basically, you know, whether it's within two minutes or within one hour, you're changing your physiological state. Mm-hmm. And the more, like, one of the things that I try to do in my yoga class is literally educate people on this. Like when you're doing this, when you're breathing in, this is what's happening to your heart. This is what's happening to your sympathetic nervous system. When you're breathing out, this is what's happening to your heart. This is what's happening to your parasympathetic nervous system. Because the reason why I do that is because there's, um, and there's been studies on this, But the more information that someone has about why something works the way it does, the more they're likely to return to that thing and make it a pattern. You know, the more you can stop and say, oh my God, I feel amazing right now. You don't even have to really understand exactly why you feel amazing, but you have to make the connection between this is the action and this is the state. Mm -hmm. And when you can put those two things together and stay really consistent with them. And the more you stick with something, obviously, the more you start to reverse some of the dysfunction of the nervous system, the better you feel, the more you recognize, oh my God, these are the things that are helping me, which is why morning practices, like some of the people I know who are the most dysregulated are moms because they have completely, are you a mom? I am a mom. So I have dysregulation <laughs> from uh, trauma as a child yeah. and a 
young adults and then I have four children. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my God. See, these are, so the, the people that I see who are the most kind of out of whack, they're moms, because what comes first, your child. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's a whole other, like, we're really stuck in this. Um, it's like, it's such a paradox because on one side of the spectrum, we're like, we need to take better care of our mental health. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we're like, but you know, we're in third wave of feminism and we need to like hustle and, you know, do shit <laughs> with our lives and like make a difference. And that's like our job to, you know, share, like be a positive role model for our children. And I think it's so confusing and literally fucking people up. <laughs> yeah. Like there's a happy medium in there somewhere. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. And I, I think the happy medium is, um, and this is, I mean, this would be like the big goal of yoga and it's basically enlightenment and in somatic experiencing it's called coherence. Um, but it's our ability to just be okay right here, right now, not needing to produce something or prove something you know, not needing to whatever, do this or that, but just being able to be okay with what we have right here, right now. And sometimes I think that having a daily practice that helps support your, you know, mind body system really can put you in that place of coherence to be a better parent, you know, to be a better leader you know, a better boss or employee or, you know, whatever it is, but I know it's nuanced and I can't imagine, um, I don't have children and I partake, I, um, uh, intentionally chose to not have children because I can't imagine doing all the stuff I do and juggling the kids. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. And I actually put, I resigned from my job because I'm like, listen, I can't do all of this all at once. And I'm fortunate. I know it's a privilege that I can resign from my job because my spouse makes enough money that 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 allows me. So I'm, I'm not saying this without understanding the privilege that that entails, but, um, I did, I resigned from my job because I, I, I can't, I'm like, I can't do this all. And I, and I'm not taking good care of myself because I don't have time between grads. I don't have time for grad school to be a mom do all the things and then still do this job on top of it. And I know, so something had to go and something had to give. And fortunately my kids are old enough that they kind of like can take care of themselves so that I don't have to worry about taking care of them all day, every day. Um, but still like they still needed me. Um, but I need to take care of myself. And the fact that I couldn't, I, I couldn't juggle grad school and my job and my family all at the same time without giving up my morning routine, because I definitely am not giving up my sleep because otherwise it's not good for my mental health, (laughs) but I gave, I, you know, I gave up my morning routine and I'm like, I felt the difference not doing that the last couple months and just the last two days getting back to doing my, you know, it's not really extensive either. I do about 15, 20 minutes. during the week of yoga and then like 10 minutes meditation, but that makes a world of a difference. Yes. Oh my God. And I like, sometimes, um, I have a lot of clients who are moms and I'm like, you might maybe try reframing that. Like it's not selfish to have Mm -hmm. a self-care practice. It's actually selfless Mm -hmm. because 
the benefits ripple out to your family, you know, and in the whole, like your life and your presence and your children and your children's development and who your children become and your relationships and your, you know, blah, 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 all of it's a web. And when you start to pull on the thread of, you know, just one little thread, it's like you start to see the connection between everything. And, and when you can show up and take care of yourself, you just, you're modeling that for your children too, you know? And I think that, um, this is why I feel like we keep coming back to this topic. And I, obviously we both recognize the importance of it, but education, you know, like I'm so glad that again, in this like millennial culture of wellness and, and mental health that we're also recognizing, like we're expanding the narrative and lexicon around self-care, Yeah, you know, and how, like, I literally do not know how anyone survives without doing some sort of daily practice to take care of themselves. Because we are living, I don't know, wait, where do you live in Vermont? Connecticut. Yeah. Like I, we're, we live in busy places, busy times, you know, busy world, lots of responsibility, lots of accountability, lots of duties. And it's like, I just feel like if, if, if we're not like, we really have to normalize via the things that you're doing, like having, you know, hosts are hosting this podcast and, and actually publicly talking, you know, having these conversations about how essential it is because we are coming out of a generation, the baby boomer generation, our parents didn't do that. That was not okay. You don't talk about things. You don't take care of yourself. Family comes first. It's like the, the whole rubric around the nuclear family is like fucked everyone up. And now we're all like, picking up the pieces from it, you know? Yeah. Well, Lauren, as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Um, I mean, honestly, because we're on this topic, self-care, you know, one little thing every single day, it could be a two minute breath practice that there are so many things that you can do to, you know, expedite the state shift in your physiology so you can feel better. And when you feel better, you're literally just a better human being. So, and pick up my book. <laughs> yes. Tell us about the pre-sale going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the book shit house is, uh, it is, it's my memoir. Well, it's one memoir of mine. I'm going to write many memoirs, but this book, the theme is generational trauma. And I think that, um, the, that everyone will relate to, like, not everyone has my story, but everyone will relate to the level of dysfunction and humanity that the characters are playing out in this book. And even though, again, not, not everyone has had the same experiences as me, but we're all just, uh, playing out a spectrum of emotion Mm -hmm. and it could be sadness. It could be grief. Again, it might manifest in certain ways, but, um, but we're all like, we'll all relate to the grief or the humor or the self-deprecate, you know, self-deprecation or, you know, everyone will relate to the story in one way, shape or form, even, um, even men. And I think also the, the big component, which is like, how do we unravel ourselves from the history and patterns of our family? And, um, so that's a big theme that plays out in the book too. And the book comes out January 11th. 
Uh, it's uh, in pre-sale now on Amazon and you can pick it up really at any major retailer. Uh, and the link, the yes. link in the show notes as well. Yeah. Thank you. And the book is like, it's educational, but it's really told through, you know, literary prose. It's a, it's a literary memoir and, you know, there's definitely nuggets in there, but it's definitely a captivating story. So pick up the book and take care of yourself. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.